Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. To get to this point when it comes to politics requires a significant amount of discussion and negotiations behind closed doors. Those are uh, never easy. Now, the man who is front and center when it comes to having that conversation is former Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart. Uh, he is coming out with a new book called Decrim, How We Decriminalize Drugs in British Columbia. Uh, he talks about what's happening behind the scenes and also the broader conversation of why uh, British Columbia is headed in this direction. The book, to my understanding, is coming out in May, but this is very important today and it was important to have him on the show as well. He joins us now. Today, he is the director of the Centre for Public Policy Research at Simon Fraser University. Uh, uh, Kennedy, thank you for joining us today. Hey, great to be here, Jess. Thanks for having me. So what's uh, today mean to you? I mean, you were negotiating behind the scenes. You've been a mayor, of course. Uh, what's this day mean to you? Well, uh, it depends what hat I'm wearing. Um, you know, first and foremost, as someone who's lost a family member uh, to toxic drugs, it means a lot to our family that that death has uh, a meaning that there's mm-hmm. some meaning behind it. And so that, and I think many families across British Columbia, too many are feeling the same way, is that um, any kind of change is, is important. As, uh, as a policy uh, maker, as a former mayor and MP, this is important, I think, that shows that Canada's heading in a different direction when it comes to moving away from the war on drugs and moving more to a, a much more health-centered approach and then finally, as a, as a public policy professor, I think that this shows, uh, you know, presents an opportunity to show how these policies can be changed in the future. Mm-hmm. Now, some have said, look, they've tried this in Oregon or in the midst of that conversation. Many people talk about the Portugal model. Uh, there have been critics of both models as well, that it hasn't done what many felt it was going to do. And, and, and it hasn't been as successful as some people have said uh, it is, particularly around the Portugal model, uh, that it, these successes are not black and white. What makes you think we can succeed here uh, in British Columbia? Yeah, well, for me, it's I guess it's what you you think success is. So, you know, the overall thing that we're all looking for is is reduction in in uh, toxic drug overdoses and, of course, death, which is really the most grim statistic that that any kind of policymakers can can deal with. Um, uh, but there's a there's a number of kind of sub indicators. For example, uh, one that's not talked about as much is the seizures of drugs. So. Um, and this, uh, so we know from the police, and I'm sure uh, Deputy Chief uh, Fiona Wilson told you this, that there's not that many arrests in Vancouver, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are more across the province and other jurisdictions, so they don't make a difference province-wide. But what there are a lot of is drug seizures. And so if you're caught with small amounts of drugs, uh, uh, um, just uh, one of our students actually at the School of Public Policy did her um, master's on this, uh, was that half of the seizures of drugs, which there are a lot, thousands, are actually under this thresh- threshold. So police are still seizing small quantities of drugs from folks that are caught with them. And this is like, to me, it's kind of like, you know, you meet some teenagers on the beach and you pour out their alcohol and let them go on their way. This is kind of what police are doing on a very regular basis um, right across the province, uh, running into to folks that have small quantities of drugs, taking them away, and then letting them go on their way. Um, unfortunately, what happens in those cases is a lot of those folks that are very dependent 
are forced into very risky behaviors to try to uh, secure the drugs that they need uh, to to function. So, so, so that is that's where I think the biggest difference will be uh, through this policy. You uh, talked about uh, you know the negotiations that go on behind closed doors, uh, raising mm-hmm. the profile of this issue. Walk me through what that was like when you first brought this issue up in the corridors of power, not just here in BC, but more importantly. In Ottawa, because this is ultimately a federal law. This is a pilot project, but it's a federal law. Walk me through some of the skepticism or perhaps questions you uh, dealt with uh, behind the scenes. Sure. So um, elected in late 2018, but in 2019, we were actually seeing quite a drop in uh, the number of deaths due to toxic drugs. And so a lot of the focus at that point was uh, safe supply. So I remember being on a, a panel with Dr. Bonnie Henry and talking to, uh, you know, Dr. Patricia Daly and, and all the, the health advisors uh, in British Columbia. And in 2019, uh, the, the whole focus was on getting safe supply programs up off of the ground. But after the pandemic hit, um, that changed things radically. The, the, the drug supply changed uh, very significantly, and, and we had, we've had we had a massive spike in, in deaths. And so... Um, so that's when all policy options kind of came on the table for some of us. And uh, the Prime Minister told me twice to my face in uh, 2019 that, uh, that he was never going to decriminalize drugs. Uh, the Premier, was, uh, Premier Horgan at that point was reluctant. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took the work of activists, really, to, to really drive this uh, to uh, the federal level and, in the end, convinced us at the city to um, to make an application uh, for an exemption at the citywide level then that uh, then the province quickly followed with their uh, with the province-wide exemption application which was uh, takes effect today mm-hmm. so it's uh, it was a long and winding road uh, to get here and I think that's a really important story to understand for folks who want to move further in this direction or do any policy change is that how much work it takes you know, lots of people saying, you know, this isn't going to solve things and it's not that big a change. But how much political work it takes to get something like this done is is worth understanding. Some have said, that, look, we're, we're a G7 nation with a strong social safety net in the grand scheme of things. And it's odd for British Columbia and Canada to take sort of this libertarian hands-off approach and that we should still be, fo- we should instead be focusing on more um, uh, beds, first of all, for treatment. Yeah. We're at about 3,200, I think, in this province. 320 mm-hmm. have been added since the NDP uh, were elected in 2017, more mm-hmm. needed. Uh, but look, focus on those treatment beds, focus on issues around housing, employment, and health care. That's where our focus should be, not on decriminalizing these drugs, even for personal use. What do you say to that argument? I agree with a lot of it. I do think that treatment. I mean, we uh, while I was mayor, we approved the uh, the biggest uh, drug treatment center in uh, in British Columbia, which is going on um, Clark uh, Clark Drive. So that uh, has been approved, and the province will be constructing that soon. So I absolutely agree. And uh, you know, I've had many friends who have gone through treatment, so that's definitely important. But what we have to realize is that 80% of very hard drug users, like heroin and cocaine and, and increasingly other opioids, uh, relapse. About 80% of them relapse. And so treatment is is going to work for, for a small proportion of people, you know, and I guess the dream is that you get off drugs forever and you're always clean. But um, in many, many cases, that's that's not the effect, and people uh, are on and off drugs for their entire lives. And so, 
so we need a kind of real everything we could have. <clears throat> Excuse me. So so decriminalization is important. Uh, treatment's important. Safe supply is probably the most important thing. We can move out that people get off of these poison drugs and and you know live their lives uh, with a, in a much more predictable way. But uh, of course, housing and and all those jobs and everything else are all important because at the root of all this is often trauma and. Um, Trauma comes from many, many places, uh, but one thing we always have to be conscious of is, of course, we've recently nationally declared that we have committed genocide here in Canada, and a lot of the trauma, that resulting trauma, does end up, unfortunately, leading to, um, you know, substance abuse, substance use, and a lot of that is poison drugs. So this is, you know, affecting Indigenous people more than anybody else, and um, that needs to be factored into. My final question to you, people have some pointed to Oregon uh, as a place that has decriminalized uh, hard drugs. Uh, Portugal, people talk about the Portugal model, and, and there are mm-hmm. a lot of folks who point to it and say, look, there's lots of success there. Others have said, look, uh, there has been some success, certainly, but they've also implemented other things beyond just decriminalization, which is, uh, you know, guaranteed minimum uh, income, housing assistance, all those wraparound services that we often talk about. Uh, what first of all, do you believe those two particular jurisdictions have been successful at it? And if, if we do what they do, would you view it as a success, or do you think we need to do more? Because if it's just those two uh, jurisdictions, many people have said they have not been complete successes, and we're kind of flying blind here a little bit with this experiment. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that uh, all success is, is going to be to a degree. It's it's never going to be, you know, you're in the fix that you're in now with, with just just really a huge number of people dying necessarily and to a point where you're at zero and, and nobody's using drugs anymore, you're you're gonna you're gonna have some middle ground. So for me the the number one metric that, that will show success initially is that the, the number of people dying decreases uh, significantly, uh, to a point where it was, you know, in the in the uh, <clears throat> in the nineteen eighties we would have you know, very, very low levels of overdose. And now since that point, it is just, um, you know, 10, 20, 30 times that level. So uh, I think that's what all health policy analysts are looking at is how do we, how do we, how do we not just keep people alive, but, but make sure they have better lives. So, so that's really what really the, the, the measure should be. Although that, you know, again, when we talk about statistics and, and outcomes, it's a pretty cold way of looking at individual people who are really having very, very tough lives and at risk of death daily. So we always have to keep in mind the individuals that are that are living this, and it's it's a pretty brutal life in a lot of cases. Yeah. Kennedy, thank you for your uh, time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you.